0: Time to make the Crunch Time Plays. Now, your host, Bennett Gainey. Bennett Ganey. The Crunch, Crunch, Crunch Time Plays. This is Pat Smith from 3-Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays.
1: Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays.
0: Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round. And when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, always look for Crunch Time Plays.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, thanks so much. And continuing our season previews today, we've been hitting a lot on the SEC lately. We've hit on Ohio State. We've hit on some several teams outside of the SEC as well. And and we're going back outside of the SEC today to talk Notre Dame, Talk get a season preview for them. We've got Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown here. One of the best to do it. Brian, hope you're doing well, and thanks so much for taking time
0: today, brother. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And contrary to popular belief down there, there is actually football outside of the SEC. There really is. There really is. <laughs>
1: hey, there. There's no doubt about that. And, <laughs> and I know. I know. People in the South, you know, we everybody tries to to stick down in their SEC bubble. But it's good to. <laughs> it's especially when you get it down into playoff time. And and Notre Dame's been a been a contender, you know, the past few years. It's good to know about these programs outside of the SEC for a lot of these fans.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I you know I've spent some time in my life in SEC country, and I I do know that they are very knowledgeable fans. So I just like to like to give you all a hard time sometimes, you know, so, uh, but no, I'm ready to talk some ball and I'm fired up about this season. And I, look, I think this is going to be a fun year and not just for Notre Dame, but I'm really looking forward to this season. I think this is going to be a fun year. I think there's some teams ascending. Uh, I, I think there's going to be some battles in some of these conferences that maybe there weren't before. Maybe there's a couple teams are going to try to take a, take a swing at the champs, you know, maybe like a Georgia, a Texas A&M going to try to take a swing at the champs, see if they can kind of get over that hump. So I, this is going to be a fun year for college football, and I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, I think I think Notre Dame's poised to have another really good football squad as well.
1: There's no doubt about that. You know, I've been saying it's going to be a, a resurgence, a renaissance year in college football, not just because of the, you know, just because of the atmospheres we didn't get to have last year. And, and knock on wood, we're going to be able to have uh, have those uh, this year. And, you know, I did kind of want to ask you just to start off with, I know there's been a lot of a debate with all the conference realignment going on in Oklahoma and Texas Coming into the SEC, I you know probably you know year or two down the road, and and I know a lot of people in in and outside of of South Bend have been talking about whether or not you know Notre Dame should go ahead and and take the step into the into the ACC or any uh, you know in football you know full time they obviously play those five games a year and they're you know in the ACC and every other you know sport in in college sports, but, but, you know, when you kind of look at it, to me, it really, you know, kind of, when you start talking about, you know, expansion, I don't really see a need for, for Notre Dame to join a conference right now. I mean, you still have your, you still have the deal with, with NBC obviously brings in a lot of money, national brand get to play, you know, those independent games that they're that you're used to playing, still maintain your rivalries with, with USC and those different teams. And, but to me, the only, the only time, you know, down the road when Notre Dame probably should join is when it starts, you know, affecting their schedule and teams right. not being able to teams not wanting to schedule them, you know, because they're already playing nine or ten conference games wherever this, you know, right. expansion leads us. So so is that is that kind of the way you're seeing it? And what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of Notre Dame joining a conference full time?
0: No, you're absolutely right. I think the only way that Notre Dame would join a conference is really twofold. Number one is a conference offers them uh, money that they just can't refuse. And I don't think people outside of Notre Dame realize just how much that would have to be. And and, and there's this there's this perception that, well, you know, Notre Dame makes so much money from their TV contracts. Notre Dame made less money last year off TV. Well, let me rephrase that, because last year they joined the ACC, so they got actually more money than they normally get. Notre Dame with their TV deals makes less money than any other power five team in a non COVID joining the ACC for a short period of time year. They only make about $22 million. They make about 15 off of their ACC off their NBC deal. And then they get about $7 million from the ACC because of, you know, being a part of, of the ACC for other sports. They're in the ACC for everything except football and hockey. And the only reason they're not in them for hockey is because they don't have hockey in the ACC. So they joined the big 10 for that. But, you know, Notre Dame has valued their independence for a long, long time. We ran a series at, at Irish breakdown recently where we explained why, you know, Notre Dame tried to get into big 10 twice. And th- at the time it was called the Western conference. And there was a lot of reasons behind it. Some jealousy, some anti Catholic bigotry, some, there were other reasons why. And so Notre Dame said, fine, screw you. We're going to go ahead and do our own thing. And of course that spurred Notre Dame to become what Notre Dame over the, became over the next 50 years. So, that kind of created a, a lot sort of an indignance over whether or not there's a need for for to be to be a conference. And then practically speaking, right, because that all sounds good. 30, 40 years ago when there's not the billions and billions of dollars that's floating around college athletics now. You know, but Notre Dame is is such a unique situation. Do you remember playing like NCAA back in the day? you know and, and and you they'd have like that intro screen and there was always like the NCA logo and then like right beside the NCA logo was the notre dame university of notre dame logo absolutely because they're yeah. their own brand you know and then you look at it and they say well you know but you're not making as much tv money notre dame is a school with eight thousand students that has over an 11 billion dollar endowment right and being a independent program is a big part of of where a lot of that money comes from i mean, not you, you, not the mass chunk. It's 11 billion dollars, but Notre Dame has created this subway alum thing. They they get to go to Boston one week, then they're out in San Francisco the next week, then they're in Dallas the next week, then they're in the southeast the next week. You know, and and, and there's just nobody else that does that. You know, Notre Dame's going to play three to five power, uh, three to five different Power Five conferences every year. Plus, they're always going to play at least one AAC opponent, and and that kind of cross country type of brand is something that makes Notre Dame unique. It's something that keeps fans happy and more importantly it keeps people that pay a lot of money to support notre dame happy so notre dame would actually in in some ways potentially take a pay cut if they joined a conference especially the big 10 which is what a lot of people say oh join the big 10 because geography and i'm like can we just get rid of geography being a conversation and conference realignment anymore Uh, you know i mean because what south you know, Texas and Oklahoma just joined the Southeastern Conference. The only thing they're Southeastern of is Alaska, right? I mean, so they're not in, you know, the, the Big Ten has 14 teams, right? The Big 12 had 10 teams. Now they have eight teams. None of that stuff matters anymore, right? Uh, but there's just not that need right now for Notre Dame to join a conference. To your point, the only way that would happen, in my opinion, is if it was a situation where they had to, you had all these Super conferences that everybody talks about are going to happen. So what gets down to like what three, four conferences of eighteen to twenty-two teams, whatever the case may be, and they said we're going to play ten conference games. And Notre Dame was just because if you're playing ten conference games and you only have two non-conference games, let's be honest, most teams are going to play, you know, in-state FCS program, a MAC program, a Sun sunbelt program, teams like that. They're not going to say, oh yeah, we're in the you know, we're in the Big Ten East division and we got to play Ohio State, Penn State, and all these other teams that they go and poach from the ACC and, oh, well, let's just go play Notre Dame non-conference. I think that's when Notre Dame would, would probably start to get in it unless they're able to kind of sign some deal with another league saying, hey, we're going to sign some specialty contract with you. We're going to play you five times a year, something like that, which Notre Dame could do. But I think that would be ultimately the only thing that would would result in Notre Dame joining a conference, and I don't see that happening anytime soon, which is why Notre Dame was willing to give up potentially being a top four seed that's how much notre dame values being an independent program say so fine we won't we won't get a buy in the playoff because remember jack swarbrick the ad notre dame was one of the people on that committee if he didn't want to do that he could have easily said no we're going to put our foot down and not do that jack swarbrick has, has shown he can swing a pretty big stick when he wants to so if he if he if he wasn't for, four if he wasn't willing to support that and understood hey this is going to help us with our independence then he would have made different moves during that process
1: yeah, that's definitely true. And that's definitely things that that have been brought up, you know, by a lot of people. And you know, we're talking about Notre Dame not getting that that top four C, but you know, if they're if they have a, a twelve and 0 a record at the end of the season, they're obviously gonna get uh, one of those home games and there mm-hmm. might be a team from the SEC that has to come up to South Bend in late in, in late December, in late yeah. December and have yeah, to have play fun a football game. So yeah, have fun with that <laughs> if, yeah, that if have fun you're fun with if, that. If you're an SEC program, so that it, it you may lose the top four right. seed, you may lose the buy, but you're gaining a home game, you're gaining uh, some revenue from that as well. And you're also uh, gaining a home field advantage in the fact that you used to right. play in, uh, in the cold weather in
0: December right. that
1: uh, all these SEC teams are, right. aren't
0: used to playing in. Can we be honest about something? Okay, this whole expansion of, well, you know, we need more teams. Cont- there's never more than there's never more than three or four teams that are true contenders for the playoff. Can we be honest about that? Can we get rid of this notion of if a AAC team gets in, they may make a run like college basketball? This isn't the NCAA basketball. It's not. It's not Loyola Chicago is not going to make a run, you know, to the Final Four like they did in, in basketball. It's a different animal. It's a different game. So there's never going to be like a 9, 12, 11, 12 seed run and make a run of championship, at least not any time in my lifetime. Right. It's just it's just not going to happen. And I've studied I've gone back and studied back in the 80s. It would have been the same thing in the late 80s and early 90s. It would have been Notre Dame and Miami and just every year in the playoff. I mean, there's been different eras where it would have been the same three, four teams are dominant. It, that hasn't changed. The difference is, is back then you didn't put them all into one tournament and it, everybody focused on it because there was the bowl, the bowl matchup. So they weren't all playing each other. And so you didn't have people complaining about it. They had plenty of other things to complain about because that's what we do, right? We complain about things and then they start something new and we complain about that. You know, so there, there's not going to be all these, all these, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12. If Notre, Dame's not, if Notre Dame's not a 5 or a 6 seed, they're not a real title contender anyway. Okay. So it really really doesn't matter what their matchup is, but let's just say it is a legitimate title contending Notre Dame team. Let's just make that case, right? If they're a five seed to your point, they get a home game, right? So that's going to be a nice revenue generator, right? Nice home game. It's going to be some team from the most likely from like the sec or the ACC, or it may be one of the group of five teams you know, group of six teams, you know, whoever that team is gets the 12 seed. So like UCF, Memphis again, Coastal Carolina again, teams that don't necessarily come from, you know warm, you know cold climate games. So you, you if Notre Dame's a real title contender, they'll win that game, and so then you look at if you're Notre Dame, okay, so who are you getting in round two? Well, you're getting the four seed, which is really ultimately if Notre Dame's a, a, good enough to be a four, it's really the fifth best team in the country. Well, that's a more winnable game as opposed to if you went to the old system and Notre Dame is the four seed and they got to play the number one seed in the first round or the number two seed in the first round. Well, this creates opportunities for Notre Dame to get in the postseason and do a little bit of damage. And I think that's something that they would need in order to say, look, we can win these games, go get those two or three or four recruits that they're currently not getting. That can be the difference in those games, you know, and especially like a quarterback, for example, you know, we were having this conversation on our show recently. You know, you look at 2018 and was, you know, Clemson 30 to three, and they were way better than Notre Dame. I mean, like, if you watch that game play, uh, Clemson was better than Notre Dame for about a minute and a half. You know, it was nine to three with 145 left. Notre Dame's All-American corner goes down, and Clemson had two straight possessions in less than two minutes. It's two bombs against the guy that was, you know, replacing the All-American corner, and then that kind of kind of ran away with it. But you switch quarterbacks in that game, and that's a different ball game, right? And... and you know, Notre, Notre Dame had two six four receivers that running four four twos that were high draft picks. You know, Notre Dame was loaded with NFL players on both sides of the ball. And then you go watch what Clemson did to Alabama a couple of weeks later, and you realize that Clemson team was pretty freaking good. So you know, to me, there's just a couple guys away that Notre Dame is getting, and they've got to start doing some things on the field, off the field, to just try to start to get those last couple guys and. Not right now. Notre Dame fans are hoping that Marcus Freeman is that guy for what they're doing on defense. But now I think quarterback is still the, the the big question mark that that where Notre Dame is as a program to taking that next step. And hopefully, you you know well, this scenario of the playoff we talk about could be that thing that can help them go down to Georgia and get a Trevor Lawrence the next time he comes around.
1: Yeah, it's definitely true. There's so many, definitely so many positives. You know, you can look, you can, you can view it from the standpoint of oh, we're not a, or we're not going to get a buy because we're a top four C. But there's also a lot of opportunities to mm-hmm. prove uh, that that you belong because hadn't hadn't necessarily, you know, proved it in the in the years past when you've gotten in the playoff or different things like that. So it definitely gives you a lot of opportunities to be able to prove that you can beat these. You can you can beat. The Alabamas, the Clemson's of the world, that definitely help you in recruiting as well. And and you mentioned the quarterback, I did want to hit on that uh, with you as we kind of dive into to what's going to be happening uh, during the season. Obviously, Ian Book goes on to the NFL. Jack Cohn's the transfer quarterback from Wisconsin comes in. When you when you turn on the tape of of Jack Cohn, he's a guy that's obviously got great pocket presence. He's got a really strong arm. Mobility's a question mark uh, at times, which is something that Ian Book had a little bit of. So when you currently evaluate the the quarterback situation at, at Notre Dame heading into the season as we're moving through fall camp, how would you go about evaluating uh, Jack Cohn and and how he uh, fits into this offense under, under new offensive
0: coordinator Tommy Reese? You know, this isn't something that a lot of Notre Dame fans like to hear from me, but I think they're going to be better quarterback this year than they were last year. And, and look, Ian Book was a great kid. I mean, just an awesome young man. Uh, played tough, you know, battled, you know, did. I mean, the the two throws he made at the end of that Clemson game in regulation were just money, money throws. Uh, hitting Avery Davis on the inside post and then scrambling around, finding Davis in the end zone. But that's just not normally how he played in big games. <clears throat> and he was a kid that was, a, you know, a bit of a playmaker. But a lot of times those plays came because he wasn't willing to read out the play and get the ball where it needed to go. I think Notre Dame is in a position where they have they, they have a need for what I call a point guard quarterback. Okay. And, and a point guard quarterback to me is, you know, that guy that could be a master distributor. Mac Jones is a perfect example. Does anyone want to sit here and tell me that Mac Jones has the physical gifts of a Trevor Lawrence, of a Justin Fields, of a, even a, even a Tua, you know, who, who was a, a little bit more mobile, obviously more mobile than him. Look at some of the best quarterbacks in the country, Kyler Murray in recent years and say, no, he's, he's not that he doesn't have the arm. He doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the mobility, but what did he do? He was a phenomenal decision maker. He got the ball where it needed to go. He showed great timing and anticipation as a passer. He knew how to throw guys open, you know, whereas Ian Book was a guy that had to wait for a guy to be open, then he would want to throw it. He just wasn't comfortable with the anticipation part. You know, there was a particular play in the first drive against Clemson. And look, to beat these teams, these are the kind of throws you have to make. There's a play, third, first, Notre Dame's first drive. Because what a lot of people forget is Notre Dame got into Clemson, ter- got into scoring territory three times on the first three possessions, made a field goal, missed a field goal, turned it over on downs. They were moving a ball on Clemson, but they would stall because of plays like this. So Ian drops back and they run a, a single side corner route to the backside of Javon McKinley. And, you know, in a game, open against Clemson is going to be op- different than open against BC and open against Navy, right? Javon McKinley sticks that inside move and as soon as he breaks out he's got about a foot and a half window that if Ian Book and any other quarterback sees that and they know that he's got leverage, he's got the positioning that there, and there's no one outside, you bang that throw to the outside, you let him run underneath it and you've got a third down conversion. Ian Book never he wouldn't make those throws. And to beat Clemson, to beat Bama, to beat Ohio State, you and well, and let's be honest for other teams to beat Notre Dame with the kind of defense Notre Dame's had in recent years, you got to make those throws. And he just wasn't willing to make those throws. Jack Cohn showed on film that he's willing to make those throws. And I'll be honest with you, Bennett, when I first – when Notre Dame first expressed interest – well, when I heard from sources that they were looking at him, I was not pleased because I remember watching the Wisconsin film. Like, just as a glance, hey, I'm getting ready for a Notre Dame game and the Wisconsin game is on and it's a dull, boring offense and all that. Well, then you pop in the all-22 and you're like, boy, this kid's hitting corner outs in triple coverage. This guy's banging seam routes like in between three guys. This guy's taking shots down the field. Like, okay, this kid's got some guts. He just isn't allowed to do it very often because of the Wisconsin offense. But he's making throws that Ian Book would never even try to make. And that's no shot to Ian Book. It's just he's a different kind of quarterback. But that's what they need. They need that point guard quarterback, that guy that's going to get the ball to the playmakers and go make plays. It's kind of like, it's kind of funny because like every year recently, Notre Dame has some receiver that goes to the combine and blows up. And everybody's shocked, like, "Wow, I didn't know that guy was that good." Yeah, because he he wasn't getting thrown the ball, you know. And, and if you're watching on TV, you don't see the chase Claypool's open by four yards. I'm at this in the press box. I see it, but I see that he's not getting the ball, you know. Same thing with Cole Komet, you know. And and you're like, "Boy, how does Notre Dame not have a better pass offense when they got these two six four giants that ran four four twos at the combine and they couldn't throw the football?" And It's like, well, welcome to my world, you know. So uh, I think they've got talent on the perimeter. I think they've got—I mean, obviously got talent at tight end. Notre Dame always has talent at tight end. They have two really good running backs. They just need a quarterback that can get the ball where it needs to go. They don't need—they don't need Kyler Murray. They just need someone that can say, "This is the read. This is the timing. This is the ball placement that needs to happen." We'll get the ball out. And I think Jack Cohn's going to be able to do that. And if he does that, I think this offense is going to have a chance to make a big jump because that's the thing that's different—that's different than Notre Dame and the championship teams. Their offense is light years away from those programs. They scored 33 and a half points per game last year. You know, teams that are winning it now are scoring like, I mean, Clemson in 18 at 44 and a half was like the low bar of the last three years when it comes to scoring offenses. And that's Notre Dame's gonna have to get there if they wanna, if they wanna truly compete. And when I mean compete, I don't just mean getting there and playing a you know competitive game like, a, hey, you only lost Alabama by 17. Anyone that watched that game knew that Alabama took their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter, and then Notre Dame punches in a touchdown with like a minute and a half left in the game. It was not a 17-point game, right? It, it about Competitive means it's in the fourth quarter, and a play here, a play there, you got a shot to win that game. That's where they need to be, and they just have not been in that situation. They have not been in – you look at the BCS game of 2012. In the two playoff games, and the, by the time you get to the third quarter, it's not a ball game in any of those, and that's not being competitive. That's getting there. That's not being competitive. That's like a team that gets in the NCAA tournament as a 16 seed and you know loses by 50. You you weren't competitive. You just happened to get there because your schedule worked out that way. It's time to be competitive because this is Notre Dame, right? That that should be the standard for just getting there is not standard for Notre Dame. It's time to start doing some damage, and that's that's the next step for Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true, and that's that's definitely what I've, I've thought that that's held them back. You know, the last, you know, you know, just several times we've seen them in these big games being able to create that explosiveness offensively because they do have a lot of weapons. And Jack Cones definitely a guy that that kind of like a Mac Jones that can beat you uh, with his mind, not only with his with his talent. So definitely, now I'm kind of like you. I personally believe that that the quarterback position is going to be <clears throat> upgraded a little bit. Uh, from what Ian Book was, obviously no knock on him. He had an outstanding career. But when you look at the supporting cast, who are some of the guys that you're, you know, maybe we're not talking about right now, but throughout fall camp, throughout the season, maybe at wide receiver position, who are some of those guys that can really be explosive, can really uh, take the top off the defense that the people need to be watching out for when we're talking about Jack Cone, uh, trying to create those explosive plays and pushing the ball down the field?
0: Well, that's that's the thing is there's a lot of great unknowns about this receiving core because there's been talent, but it's just been injuries or suspensions or different things have kind of come up to keep these guys from really taking off. And the guy that Notre Dame fans are just like, you know, every night doing their whole, you know, Hail Marys for and all that kind of stuff for is that Kevin Austin can be healthy this year. You know, Kevin's a kid that Notre Dame signed as part of the 2018 class as a true freshman. You know, he was part of the rotation, played a little bit. He's a freak. I mean, he's six two, he's two fifteen, he's fast. You know, we've seen him in practice just Embarrass Notre Dame DBs just consistently, but then it's, you know, he's suspended in 2019. And then last year he's, he's dominating the off season and then he breaks his foot in June. They try to bring it back from it. He tries to play through it. And then he hurts it again, catches one pass all year, you know, just was never the same after the first injury. Well, now he's back again and we're hearing the same things we always hear dominating. No one can guard him, You know, all these type of things. He's their most talented player. I've had a Notre Dame coach tell me he's their most talented receiver for like three years in a row. Right. But it's just one thing or another comes up and he can't play. If he can do the things in games that we've seen him do in practice, and I'm talking like against Julian Love and Troy Pride and you know guys that are now making a lot of money playing professional football. it It was kind of like, wow, how's this guy not dominant? And then it was like I said, something would come up. So if Kevin Austin can be healthy finally, He's a guy that's going to turn some heads because, you know, like I said, 6'2", 215, tremendous catching radius, speed, can do things after. I mean, the one big play he had in, in, in his career was he took a crossing route against Navy and split the defense and just exploded upfield for a big play. You know, now it's like, OK, can we see him do that against somebody that's good? That'd be great, you know, but the talent's there for him to be a dominant player. He can be that boundary guy. He's the one receiver that they have that's not a freshman that kind of has that size to be that one-on-one volume pass catcher, you know, and and be that alpha that teams have to prepare for. You know, and then, of course, if he's doing that, you've got Michael Mayer at tight end who caught 42 passes last year as a true freshman, in my opinion, one of the three or four best tight ends in the country. Then after that, if Kevin Austin steps up, you, you need some of those playmakers, like you said, some of that speed guy. And Braden Lindsey is the guy that another guy that Notre Dame fans have been like wishing upon a star can stay healthy. Wasn't healthy in 2018. Wasn't healthy last year. But in 2019, when he was finally healthy, he has a 51-yard reverse for a touchdown against USC. He takes a jet sweep against Boston College 61 yards for a touchdown. He beats Navy on a post route for 72 yards for a touchdown. You know, he was just, he was just a, a home run waiting to happen. You know, this was a kid that was a, a state track champ coming out of high school. Tremendous speed, you know, high four, three, low four, four kind of speed, uh, big play guy. And so you, you. that's something they just did not have last year because he got hurt in fall camp, was never the same. Came, tried to come back from it. Hamstring injury blows it out against Pitt and just never was a factor again. So he's a guy. And then, you know, there's some other short, you know, smaller, shiftier guys. Lawrence Keyes is a guy from New Orleans. And their fans are really excited. Hopefully he can step up this year. Avery Davis is is part of that rotation. There's a sophomore from Nebraska that not a lot of people are talking about that I think, if given the chance, could could be a really good player. It's a kid named Xavier Watts, who's, I think, a really talented pass catcher. And then you've got a freshman class, which is one of the five or six best receiver class, receiving classes in the country with Lorenzo Styles who was a top 100 recruit out of Ohio. You've got Deon Colsey, who was a top 100 recruit out of the out of the Georgia area. And so they're excited about that group. And, of course, at running back, you've got Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, who – I mean, this isn't just Brian Driscoll who covers Notre Dame, you want to call me a homer kind of thing, that's fine. I mean, preseason magazines are calling the Notre Dame backfield one of the five best in the country because you've got Kyron Williams, who was a second-team All-American last year. And then you've got Chris Tyree, who Bruce Feldman had in his freaks list that came out yesterday. Uh, talking about how he's got he's he's runs a four three one and has a forty plus inch vertical jump, which is true. As a sophomore, he was he wasn't an outdoor track guy; he was an indoor track guy. And as a sophomore, he had the fastest fifty five meter dash time in the entire country, not for football players, for anybody uh, in his sophomore class. He had the same thing as a junior class: fastest junior class fifty five meter dash time in the country. Um, not, again, not just for football players, for anyone that ran a fifty five meter dash. So, just home run explosive speed, and that right there. I've, you've heard me use that word multiple times when talking about these kids. Speed, speed, speed. That's not something Notre Dame has always had. And that's the difference with this team is there's some really fast dudes that are starting to kind of become the veterans that come to guys that Notre Dame's gonna be relying on. And if those guys can go out there and turn their potential into production, that's why there's a lot of excitement from people about how good this team could be. And then you and you know, that's where Jack Cohn comes into the mix where you got all these weapons. Don't just lock in on the tight end all the time. Don't just lock in. Get the ball where it needs to go. Read out the defense. Anticipate. Get the ball to the open guy. And let's go make some things happen.
1: Yeah, it's definitely true. The The progression is definitely uh, going to be key, especially when you have all these weapons on the field. Somebody's going to be open. And so when you, if Cone's being able to go through uh, those progressions, he's going to be able to to complete a lot of passes, throw a lot of touchdowns this year. But obviously the question about that is the offensive line. Lost four really veteran guys uh, off of last year's team. So it all starts up front whenever you, you're playing up against uh, the teams that you want to be competing in competing against and knocking off so who are some of those guys on the on the offensive line that that are looking for those starting spots in, in fall camp and and who are some guys that could possibly step up in that area and you know obviously the top top running backs in the country and you know and you know when you you obviously want to give uh Jack Cone time to to get rid mm-hmm. of the football as
0: well so who are some of those guys on the offensive line well the one guy that comes back is Jared Patterson who is one of the better centers in the country. You know, one of the five best centers in the country. He has a chance if he can kind of break out. He's that third-year starter now. Notre Dame has kind of had this tradition of great offensive linemen in the last decade and it's usually that third year when they all break out. That third years are starting they all just break out and become they go from pretty good to just phenomenal, right? It happened with Zach Martin, it was the case with Quentin Nelson, it was the case with Mike McGlinchey, Ronnie Stanley, Liam Mickenberg, Robert Hainsy, all those guys. So he enters his third year. That's kind of the anchor of their offensive line. And then you've got a kid named – a right tackle named Josh Lugg, who's a, a fifth-year senior, 6'7", about 305, 310. He's actually got a lot of experience. He started five games in 2019 when Robert Hainsey went down with a with a uh, lower body injury and played really well. So he's got some experience. He started four games last year, but he was hurt, and they tried to play him at center, which was when Jarrett Patterson got hurt, which was just a disaster. Six, seven-and-a-half kid playing center. Well, no, it's just not, not a good idea. He's back where he should be- He belongs. You had Zeke Corral stepped in last year at center. Some, uh, he was a former top hundred recruit. And then after that, it's like, okay, there's two spots that really are, are open at this point in time. One, they expect to be filled by Kane Madden. It was a transfer from Marshall. He was an all American last year. He's a preseason all American. I- I'm not ready to buy into that all American hype just yet. You know, I-, I popped in the film. He's a big, strong physical kid that dominated. What are they? Sunbelt conference USA, whatever Marshall's in. Right. Um, this isn't the, this isn't conference USA, right? Like th- they're playing U- Wisconsin, Cincinnati, USC, North Carolina. This ain't, this ain't conference USA, right? I need to see him do that against in, in the, up, you know, the uptick of competition, but he's a veteran guy. He's a 60 year senior and you know, hopefully he can be a solid player. And then, then the the guy that Notre Dame fans are just way excited to see play this year is Blake Fisher at left tackle. I mean, Look, we all, we can, like, even in the South, right, we can accept Notre Dame's got great offensive line tradition, right? It's not every day a a true freshman comes in and plays. In fact, in the last decade, there's only been two true freshmen that have started games, uh, and that was Robert Hainsey in 2017 and Steve Elmer back in 2013. So Quentin Nelson didn't play as a freshman. Mike McGlinchey didn't play as a freshman. Ronnie Stanley didn't play as a freshman. Liam Eikenberg didn't play as a freshman. These are all American players. Well, Blake Fisher's going to start at left tackle for Notre Dame, and – It's not because they don't have anybody else. He quickly beat out a kid who was a top 100 recruit uh, the year before at left tackle. He is a freak. He is 6'6", 335, athletic, powerful. But the thing about him, Bennett, that surprised me was he's really smart. And what I mean that is for a freshman, you don't expect them to come in and pick up the mental part of the game. I don't care where you're from or who you are. It's just not what you expect to do because O-line requires so much communication cohesion technique all that stuff that you can't it's not like just being a receiver or a corner running back versus hey just go be athletic and you can make some plays right you have to really have a high football IQ to be a great lineman and that's what you just don't expect a freshman to have and he came in and showed that I mean even in the spring game there's an example where it may seem like something so small but you know he's blocking down they're trying to they're trying to bait him that the end crosses his face He blocks down, but he keeps his shoulder square. He sees the looper, and he just pushes that guy off to his guard and then just, bam, stones the looper. And you're like, the juniors are getting beat with that all day, and Blake's just picking it up every time. Just little things like that, you know, and just just not making mistakes from an execution standpoint. Just his football IQ is really, really good for a freshman. And then you look at the God-given physical tools, and you're like, this kid's going to be a monster. So, But he's still a freshman. And until we see him in the in a crowd of, you know, eighty to hundred thousand people, it's going to be a bit of a question mark. But he's a guy that a lot of Notre Dame fans and the Notre Dame coaches are very excited about. That's definitely true. So it's it's going to be interesting to
1: see uh, offensive lines <clears> this year, especially with the resurgence uh, in attendance. The communication is definitely going to be key. And oh yeah, when you have you have uh, you lose a lot of those veterans on the offensive line, obviously that's a that's a question. So I'm uh, certainly this is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, in the season, is kind of seeing how those offensive lines react to actually uh, having crowds this year, because a lot of places didn't have them last year, and it kind of switching over defensively. Quartley moves out to to take the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. Bring Marcus Freeman in from Cincinnati. Schematically, from what I from what I understand, it's going to be pretty pretty similar. I had a lot of success in the three three five and doing some different things uh, with that. Is is schematically is it going to be? more similar to that and if so who are some of those defensive players uh, that are that are coming back and the ones coming in that the people really to be watching out for for Notre Dame this year
0: I think we'll see a little bit more versatility from Notre Dame this year I mean coach Lee was a phenomenal coach did a great job at Notre Dame but he was very much a a structurally, it was a similar it was a it was a relatively basic defense structurally. You know, his thing was more about we're gonna line up at a four two five. We're personnel is gonna be the same except on third down, and we're just gonna, you know, have a lot of calls and really attack and fly to the football. Marcus Freeman comes from a little bit of a different way of looking at it. It's more of a we may not do as much schematically, but we're gonna do a lot more structurally, which means we're gonna give you more looks, we're gonna try to create more confusion, we're gonna bring pressure from more a lot of a lot of places. Clark Lee wasn't really a big pressure guy. Uh, he was more of a, hey, let's funnel the ball where we want it to go and 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 limit big plays. It wasn't a huge sack tackle for loss type of deal. And it definitely wasn't from the interior of the defensive line. And that's kind of where it all starts with Marcus Freeman is he wants it to be a more aggressive playmaking group. And there's a kid named Jason Adamiola this year who's a senior. He was a former top recruit top 100 recruit from New Jersey. He's been a really important part of the rotation, but Notre Dame's always kind of valued veteran players, and so he's kind of sat behind. But he really broke out the end of the year. He he played really well at Clemson. He was dominant against Alabama. You go back, you want to watch him, go watch 57 for Notre Dame against Alabama in the the Rose Bowl. He was outstanding in that game. And so he's kind of had that emergence a little bit that the the guy that they always thought he could be on a full-time basis, he was – they're so confident in him that they took Myron Tungavaloa, who was a basically a three-year starter at defensive tackle, and moved him to defensive end, and so he's going to actually be playing their big end position. He dropped about 20 pounds. You know, he he was a guy that you know he could get up to 285, 290, but he just wasn't natural there, and he would just kind of wear down late in the year, and then a lot of that weight would come off anyway. So they're like, well, let's just get you down to more natural weight, let you be more explosive off the edge. So he moves outside. There's a lot of big things expected from him. And then there's a kid named Isaiah Foskey, who, again, it was another one on that, that Bruce Feldman freaks list, which didn't surprise Notre Dame fans because he's 6'5". He's over 250. He's a, a freaky athlete. I mean, just really explosive athlete, incredibly long arms. And he's just raw. He, he was a guy that most teams were recruiting as a tight end coming out of high school. Notre Dame was like, no, nah, you're a defensive end. And they were able to convince him he's from De La Salle, which is obviously a big-time program. They were able to convince him to come in, be a part of what they're doing at Notre Dame on the defensive side, and he did great. He played great football uh, in flashes as a rotation guy. Now he's got to show that he can go out and be that as a full-time guy. He was second on the team in sacks last year, played about 200 snaps. And so they're expecting big things from him, but it really is going to start up front. And, you know, there's good players. There's there's potential at linebacker, and obviously Kyle Hamilton is one of the nation's very best football players of safety uh he's a you know he's a first round future first round draft pick he was a second team all-american last year a couple people had him as a first round but of the main all-american people he was second uh you know there's some talent at corner but it's going to start up front if this defensive line is as good as people think i mean there's bennett there's guys on the third gonna be that are battling to be on the third team this year that three four years ago would have been second teamers or starters I mean, they've come such a long way in a short period of time with the defensive line. Uh, ever since Mike Elson returned to coach the defensive line uh, prior to the 2017 season, just the recruiting has seen a huge uptick, and the result is they're just they're able to throw waves at you. And that's to me what the good teams can do. It's, it's Notre Dame's had this thing where if you go back and look the last 10 years, they've had really good off defensive linemen. It was like two or three, and then there was like no depth behind it. Now they're just throwing waves of, of guys of people, and that's what you need to do if you're going to be successful and you're going to start winning some of these big games and keeping some of these explosive teams down enough to where your offense can can play with them, and that's what the def- defense is tasked to do. I mean, you, you, like, can we can we admit that you know, the 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 era of like thirteen to seven title games is over, right? Like that, barring you know you're playing in a outdoor stadium and it just happens to be like a monsoon like you know Notre Dame Clemson 2015 or Notre Dame NC State from 2016 like we're just not going to see those low scoring games anymore you got to be able to score but you also got to be able to make enough stops in those big games to allow your offense to, to to win it and and you know that's what Clemson did to Alabama in 2018 they forced some turnovers early came up with enough stops to kind of pull ahead and then you get Alabama out of their game that's when you start making mistakes that's when you keep the points down we saw LSU do this and starting in the second quarter, and then in the third quarter against Clemson in 2019. That's the key. You know, Alabama got some big stops early against Ohio State, which allowed them to really pull ahead. And then you, again, you get Ohio State out of their game. So you have to score to win, but your defense has to be able to make some stops, especially early, to allow your offense to win that. And that's where Notre Dame is. Uh, their defense is is close to that point. I think you could argue in some years they are at that point. But they're going to have to keep getting better because I don't think their offense is ever going to be that 48, 49 point per game team. I just don't see it being that. But if they can get up to 40 to 42 and then their defense can play elite football, that's how Notre Dame is going to win a game and win, it, win one of these games and have a chance to compete for a title.
1: Yeah, and in, in this new era of of offenses, because you're right, uh, we you start thinking about you know 2011 Alabama and LSU during the regular season nine to six. You're not winning those kind of games uh, anymore with the way uh, these offenses are going now. So that definitely makes those statistics even more critical. Not that they weren't before, but it's certainly third down stops on third down, being able to force field goals in the red zone, being able to create some turnovers. Definitely, st- definitely stats that you want to be really good in. Uh, in this uh, era of football, if you want to get where you want to go. But the last question I have for you, Brian, before I get you out of here is looking at the schedule. You know, a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about uh, this game. Maybe it's a game that 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 you've circled and we start – this is the first year that really you, we kind of go into the year and, and saying there might actually could be some parity and a little bit of the playoff conversations that are going on uh, at the end of the season. I, we talked about it before – we started in you know, the Georgia and AN they're, they're ready to take a swing in Alabama, same way in the ACC, Miami and North Carolina. Notre Dame obviously plays North Carolina during the regular season, ready to take a shot at Clemson. There's several other teams buying for for college football playoff appearances this year that aren't that weren't necessarily ready uh, in the years before but but the game that really circled is that game with Notre Dame has with Cincinnati. Because to me, if Notre Dame gets wants to get to where they want to go, they obviously have to take care of business there. But but this is the first year with Cincinnati playing Notre Dame and Indiana in the regular season. This may be the first year that we can look at it and say if Cincinnati wins those two games and goes thirteen and zero, wins the AAC, that they could be in that college yeah. football playoff conversation at the end of the year. So that's, it's a game that that I've circled on the calendar, game that I'm really excited about. But is there is that one that, that you're looking at as well, and is, is there any other games? Obviously, North Carolina is going to be a really huge game for both of those teams to get to the where they want to go as well. But Is there really any couple games that you're looking at on the schedule and say Notre Dame absolutely has to take care of business here to get to where they want to go, and that's 12-0 and, and get into the playoff?
0: I think the Notre Dame-Cincinnati game is a little bit more fascinating as a college football person from the Cincinnati side of things because to, to your point, if an AAC team is going to get in in the fourteen playoff, it's going to be this. It's going to be Cincinnati playing at Indiana and at Notre Dame in back-to-back games. Indiana is a preseason top 25 team. I don't necessarily think they should be, but they are, uh, and, and that's that'd be a big win. It's a Big Ten team on the road. You go beat them, and then you play a, a team that's been in the playoff two of the last three years in Notre Dame. You go on the road. You beat them. Hey look here's the deal too that uh, that adds to that intrigue if again we're looking at this from more a college football perspective Notre Dame has not lost a home game since since the second game of the 2017 season they lost by a point to Georgia who went on to be the national runners up Notre Dame doesn't lose at home and in most instances Notre Dame games at home aren't competitive i mean they they that 2017 season they played a, a top 10 USC team who had won 11 games and, and had Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones and Notre Dame beat them by 35. So they're, they're dominated at home. So there's that added to it too, where you, you not only beat Notre Dame, but you went on the road and beat Notre Dame, something nobody else does. So that's that adds a lot of intrigue. If, if I was a Notre Dame fan and just a college football fan, that would be a game out of circles. And let's be honest, it's going to be a week where a lot of people are going to be rooting against Notre Dame even more than normal because people like the underdog. I think people want to see the AAC team make a run. But that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to play multiple Big Ten, multiple Power Five opponents, and good ones, and you have to beat them. And that's just the reality of it. So this is that'll be an intriguing game. You know, there's the games that everybody talks about: Wisconsin, USC, and, and North Carolina, and of course, those are going to be big games. So the game that I have kind of circled on my calendar is at Virginia Tech, and it's that ultimate trap game for me. And the, the reason I say that is I don't think Virginia Tech's as difficult of a road game as people make it out to be. Uh, the, the numbers don't back that up. They don't have this great home record the last decade. Notre Dame played there a couple of years ago and smacked them around. But the placement of that game this year concerns me because you have Wisconsin and Cincinnati back-to-back, then at Virginia Tech, then you have North Carolina or USC and North Carolina coming up right afterwards. All right, So all the games you just mentioned are those four games in a five-game stretch. Well, that team right in the middle is the one no one's talking about, and that always makes me a little bit nervous. Because what what people have to understand about college football is, you look at Alabama, you look at Clemson, you look at uh, you know Oklahoma for the most part, and Ohio State. They're not losing to other top teams in their division and their in their leagues. Right? Alabama's not losing to Georgia and Florida or Texas A and M. They're getting upset by Ole Miss. Right, Texas A&M before Texas A&M was was a top program. You know they're they're getting knocked off by Auburn teams that really aren't great Auburn teams. They're not losing to Georgia. Ohio State isn't losing to Penn State. They're not losing to Michigan or Wisconsin. They've they've been beat recently by Purdue and Iowa. Right? Who beats who? Be, who's the last ACC team to beat Sarah, to beat Clemson? It was Syracuse, a four and eight Syracuse team. Who beat Clemson the year they won the national championship? It wasn't Auburn. It was Pitt at Clemson. Right. Uh, you just kind of go on and on and on. I mean, Oklahoma's lost to Kansas state and Iowa state in recent seasons. So what happens is, is you're usually up for those big games. And when you're the better team, you win those games. It's that, it's that game that nobody's talking about on the road that makes me nervous. And, and that's why I look at that Virginia tech game and say, look, if Notre Dame gets that, that physical grind of what Wisconsin and Cincinnati and, and they got Virginia tech, and then you've got USC and North Carolina coming down the road that Virginia Tech game makes me a little nervous. And so if Notre Dame can get through that game undefeated, I'll start kind of saying, okay, they got a shot to, to do this thing again because uh, that'll culminate that three-game stretch of Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, which I think is going to be their, their toughest stretch. I, look, North Carolina's ascending. I love Mac Brown. He's doing a great job, but I don't get the North Carolina hype. They went 8-4 and four last year, lost to Notre Dame at home by two touchdowns, and they have to replace two thousand yard running backs, a thousand yard receiving, their best tackler, and people are assuming they're going to be better this year than they were last year. I don't quite understand that. That feels a lot like the Michigan hype. It's like they every year they're hype. This is the year that Michigan does it, and then Michigan doesn't do it. Uh, now it's like North Carolina has become that team. They're just going to keep predicting they pay they, you know they're going to keep predicting that this is the year they break out until they actually break out. So eventually they're going to get it right. Um, but I don't think North Carolina is there yet. I think they're going to need another year or two of good recruiting, which is what they're doing. I think they're ascending. I love the job that they're doing. Uh, I like the joke on our channel that, that, that one of their coaches, the the a guy that caught my first pass I ever through in high school, which is true. That was Dre Bly, caught the first pass I ever through in high school. Problem is he wasn't on my team. So that was the negative part of that. Um, <laughs> you know, but I love what they're doing. It's just, I don't see it being this year, right? So Notre Dame hasn't lost a home game in four years, but North Carolina is going to be the team that's going to do it, right? Like, you know, I just, I don't see it. So it's that Virginia Tech game and that Wisconsin-Cincinnati-Virginia Tech stretch that is probably to me that the stretch of games is going to most define what this Notre Dame football team is going to be about in the regular season.
1: Yeah, that's true. And if, if you if you are able to get through that that little portion in the early part of the season, unscathed, you do have that bye week after the Virginia Tech game, really able to to catch your breath as you uh, move into the to the U.S. season, the North Carolinas of the world. So that can definitely be be an advantage as well. Going through the hard grind of of Wisconsin, Cincinnati, and, and Virginia Tech. But Brian, thanks so much for for taking time today, brother. I know you're you're a really busy guy preparing uh, for the season and and tell everybody where they can find you on social media and and where they can find your work on Irish Breakdown, do an incredible job with that,
0: and definitely got to get that. you back
1: on again soon, brother.
0: Well, you can see me on the social down there at Twitter. That's my Twitter handle down there, at d 178 Otherwise, you just find us at irishbreakdown.com. That's our main website. We also have a YouTube channel, so the Irish Breakdown, the Notre Dame Football Irish Breakdown channel. Uh, we do a live show every day at 1 o'clock, so uh, going to have to do a little bit of prep work getting ready for that. Uh, and of course we've got a lot of things going on, but you find us on, so you find us our YouTube channel, you find us on the website, you'll kind of be then led to everything else we got going on our Facebook group page, our message, premium message board, all our podcasts, all that kind of stuff. We got a lot going on, but two best places to find us are, are obviously our YouTube channel, um, my Twitter handle right there. And then at irishbreakdown.com. No doubt. And for
1: people, you know, I know we got a lot of, you know, we got a lot of South Carolina. We got a lot of FCC listeners. Don't underestimate, you know, Notre Dame and, and these teams because they're, you, we, you need to be paying attention to these schools because they're the teams that are really going to be shaping up the playoff race as we get into November <laughs> and, and the early part of December.
0: Well, we'll see about that. Notre Dame, Notre Dame needs to finally get on that stage and do something before teams are gonna have to worry about too much about you know feeling respect for Notre Dame. And that's but that's part of the challenge, and that's what they got to do, right? And that's what Notre Dame fans are hoping that this is the year that they can finally do that. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they can or not. We'll find out. There's no doubt
1: about that. I really appreciate Brian for taking time today. I really appreciate all of you for watching and listening to the Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.